Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by Diamond Hill's Hirsch Achara, and we'll be discussing his recent industry perspectives piece, examining the shift from a zero emission economy. You can find Hirsch's industry perspectives piece at www.diamond-hill.com. Hirsch has been with Diamond Hill since 2013, covering industrials and utilities, and prior to joining Diamond Hill, Hirsch worked at BMO Capital Markets. In light of the crisis in Texas in February, as frigid temperatures combined with power grid shutdowns to deliver a catastrophic scenario for the citizens of that state, the timing of Hirsch's visit to the podcast couldn't be any better. As we continue to work through these unprecedented times, I ask for your understanding for any sound issues that may arise. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Hirsch. So Hirsch, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're able to join me to discuss your industry perspectives titled Shifting to a Zero Emission Economy. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, let's start at a high level, uh, and then we can drill down into some of the details in your piece. Uh, you know, as we all know, the voice is calling for uh, the shift to clean energy or decarbonization have grown louder and more powerful over the past several years. What kind of progress has the United States and the rest of the world made towards achieving the goal of net zero carbon emissions? When you talk about carbon emissions, um, historically, uh, the world has been focused on emissions primarily from power plants. So when we look at emissions from the power sector, uh, the world has done decent. It's taken, I would say, uh, uh, you know, baby steps in uh, controlling emissions. So United States still has about over 60% of its uh, power generation coming from fossil sources. Europe this year was the first year when nuclear plus renewables exceeded uh, that of fossil generation and China is lagging way behind. Yeah, in terms of power plant emissions, the world has taken decent amount of steps, but still we're talking about, let's say, under 30% of global emissions. The remaining 70% come from automobiles, transportation, industry, building, heating, and all those agriculture and all those sources. So only recently has uh, the world been talking about controlling emissions from these other sources. It is, it is easier to control from the power sector, but these uh, represent a whole new challenge. In your piece, you discuss a variety of companies and how they could be impacted by the ongoing evolution of green energy. Can you talk about some of those companies and how they are going to manage through this seismic shift in the way that they do business? So we have to look at this question from two aspects. One would be how electric utilities fare under a 100% renewable scenario. What does it do to gas utilities? And what is the role they can play in decarbonizing the entire economy? I think both these, although they represent about 40% of greenhouse gas emissions, they can play a much bigger role in reducing emissions from other ancillary sectors. So as we look at all the other sectors of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, including transportation, industrial uses, agriculture, et cetera. We are looking to electrify as much as we can 
in a cost-effective way. So automobiles, at least passenger automobiles, have reached or are about to reach a certain threshold where uh, we could see mass adoption. Um, and that's where electric utilities can uh, come into the picture. Um, as more and more of these uh, use electricity, the electric utilities have a significant opportunity to switch out their fossil-based generation plants uh, and replace them with wind, solar, offshore wind, and batteries. So Dominion Energy is a company that we invested in last year. Um, they have uh, pretty constructive regulation in the state of Virginia where they primarily operate, and they have unprecedented 15 years of visibility in investing in renewable projects and be able to earn a fair return on those investments. So as we shift our attention from electric utilities to gas utilities, the proposition becomes a little bit murkier. Uh, for one, gas utilities would have to rely on an unproven technology thus far, which is green hydrogen to be able to sustain themselves in a zero carbon world, so to speak. Um, so the way gas utility, utilities envisage their role is to substitute their gas supplies with green hydrogen, which is generally just produced by electrolyzing water um, using renewable electricity and producing hydrogen. This hydrogen is then kind of supplied through the existing pipeline infrastructure to, uh, to homes, um, to buildings, to even industrial heavy uses uh, to use hydrogen instead of fossil fuels such as coal or natural gas in their applications. Um, but the other alternative is just electrifying everything, uh, which has its own uh, high costs. Uh, first, we need a significant overbuild of renewables just to meet what is a seasonal use. Um, so natural gas is used seasonally only during the winter heating months. So as you build power plants to just use for five months of the year, roughly seven months of the year, they have basically no use. And you end up impairing the value of existing extensive pipeline infrastructure that is already in place that could be used to say um, decarbonize agriculture, right? You can capture methane, which is 25 times more um, intensive in terms of greenhouse gas uh, impact than carbon dioxide. So you can take that, utilities can take that, convert it into uh, a purified form of methane and then supply it to home. So that has a significant negative uh, impact on greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and then you can use uh, hydrogen to power heavy duty trucks uh, where it seems like there is a better value proposition for truck operators because it lowers refueling time and you get arguably a longer range, which is just dependent on the size of the tank as opposed to significant breakthroughs in battery technology. So, so the existing infrastructure has a lot of value. 
when it comes to decarbonizing some of the ancillary sectors. And that's where I think gas utilities can play a big role. And we, in, we have invested in South Jersey Industries and UGI. South Jersey Industries is based out of New Jersey. Uh, it's a gas utility and it has significant cost advantage relative to uh, the alternative, which is electrification of uh, um, building heating. So they certainly have plenty of headroom to experiment, uh, initiate pilot projects and prove out the worth of hydrogen to the New Jersey economy. Um, and then UGI is a Pennsylvania based utility, but it delivers about 80% of its uh, income comes from delivering propane and LPG to United States and Europe, which is basically used in um, home heating primarily. And they too have an opportunity to supply renewable natural gas and even green hydrogen to these uh, homes that are situated far from natural gas mains. It's difficult uh, for them to use uh, a cheaper resource such as natural gas for their home heating use. So you referenced uh, green hydrogen. So let's stay on that for just a second. Uh, you know, some of the unique challenges in utilizing this source. And, and so what are some of those challenges associated with the utilization of green hydrogen? And how do those challenges compare to other forms of alternative energy? Yeah, so in terms of green hydrogen, obviously the first factor is cost. Uh, right now, I've seen cost estimates of about $6 a kilogram. Uh, in some very favorable zones, even with lack of scale in electrolyzer capacity, I've heard estimates of under $3 a kilogram for green hydrogen. My guess is you have to bring it closer to $1 per kilogram uh, over the next uh, decade or so for it to truly gain wide adoption. So cost is the foremost factor. The second would be once you get the cost down, how do you transport that? And are the equipment kind of in, in various regions just uh, able to use that? So in terms of um, equipment, we may need to retrofit some of the burners, et cetera. And in terms of transportation, I'm thinking there's some need for pipeline, um, if not replacement, just hardening, strengthening that because hydrogen does cause embrittlement of steel pipes, and we may have to substitute those with like heavier gauge plastic pipes uh, that can handle hydrogen better. So there are some technical aspects to that as well. Uh, but when it comes to finding engineering solutions, I think humanity has shown that, you know, it's, it's pretty ingenuous in, in uh, driving those changes. One of the things I've read about uh, recently in light of what occurred in Texas in mid-February is the antiquated nature of the U.S. electrical grid. So it's good that we're talking now. It's, it's the end of February, so this is still very timely. Um, switching over to renewable technologies is unfortunately not as simple as flipping a switch. So how does the industry weigh the choice of one, upgrading the current grid to avoid future disasters such as the one that befell most of Texas, or two, upgrade everything to handle renewable technologies? Does it, is it simply coming down to cost or is there something else? Yeah, so what happened in Texas, in my mind, raises two very important points. The first one is, I think it was uh, 
to a large degree policy failure. Um, so Texas is very unique relative to the rest of the country. Uh, first of all, its electric grid is not really connected to the rest of the country, which means that they cannot import power from neighboring states to the extent uh, it might be needed in emergency situations. Um, and that was with, by design to not have federal oversight over its grid, which is fine, but then there's a price to pay for that. And the second policy uh, issue in my mind is when you look at some of the more deregulated markets like the Northeast, they have two ways of compensating power plant operators. One is the uh, market price of power and the other is a capacity price, which is just like a rent that uh, rate payers like you and me kind of pay as part of our bill to these power plants to show up uh, basically when they're needed the most. And there's like a cats and sticks approach that some of those capacity rents can be taken away from these power plants by way of fines if they don't meet certain reliability criteria. So as we look at Texas, they don't have that second component of capacity pricing. Uh, which would have essentially allowed their power plants to invest in um, winter hardening, so to speak. So the wind turbines did not freeze up during extreme cold events or their fossil, uh, fossil fired power plants uh, were able to kind of meet the demand uh, um, that spiked uh, because of weather. So besides the policy issue, the second issue that also brings uh, this event kind of brings up is as we look forward, maybe 30, 40 years, and if we have say 90, 95% of our generation coming from wind and solar, we would be extremely tied to the vagaries of weather. And that raises a unique risk of its own so historically we have had coal, uh, which has its distinct supply chain, natural gas, which is distinct from coal, nuclear, which has a urana uranium supply chain. Um, and then we had a little bit of renewables as well. Now we're sort of putting all of our power generation eggs in one, bas one basket, sort of, which is governed by climate. And climate, generally is quite variable from season to season and even over longer periods, right? We have uh, weather patterns that change temperatures, that change uh, precipitation, etc., and that will significantly impact how much power we could generate from these renewable resources. So as I look at the technologies, you know, currently four hours of battery storage is uh, is what we get based on the technology and the cost aspect of it. And four hours, even if it increases exponentially by three, four times, you probably get up to a day of storage that is still significantly below uh, where the weather variations or seasonal variations take us. So we need different sort of a solution and a company called Nexera Energy is already running pilots on uh, generating green hydrogen from offshore wind 
or just wind basically wind power which uh, and then it stores hydrogen in natural formations for later use in turbines so basically they're using uh, hydrogen as a substitute for natural gas and running turbines on hydrogen this allows you to uh, call for generation resources as and when it's needed to balance the grid when renewable resources kind of sort of fall off uh, depending on weather. So hydrogen could play more than just one role of substituting natural gas in home heating. It can also provide uh, uninterrupted sort of power generation when it's needed when renewables don't show up. What you were just talking about hits home. I live in Ohio. I've been here for the past couple of decades. It's it's feels like at times we don't see the sun for, for weeks at a time. Uh, so how important is battery development alongside something like solar or wind to capture the energy when it's there, but to save it for a later time period when it's needed? Yeah, so like I mentioned, right now we have about four hours of battery storage. Um, and that is going to be significantly uh, important as we continue to increase the penetration of solar and wind. As far as I can tell, most of the new solar and wind projects have a battery storage component attached to those. And companies that deploy these solutions kind of call these as almost firm wind and solar, which means that uh, based on certain commitments, these resources will show up to that, up to that commitment level. So as we kind of continue to increase penetration, battery storage will be important. I think over the next 10 years or even longer, batteries will be installed along with these. So as we kind of look to deploy these solutions, there is a very high probability that there will be significant overproduction when there is no demand. Uh, so if you look at what the Hydrogen Council has said um, in its white paper on hydrogen, they think that up to half of Germany's uh, passenger vehicles could be uh, powered using hydrogen from the curtailment of power that would otherwise take place when we are in a situation of 90 to 100% renewables. So, Power curtailment is going to be a big issue given the inherent seasonality and intermittency of these. And we need battery plus hydrogen to kind of really close the loop on uh, effectively using what we have already installed. But like I said, you know, seasonal variations uh, are significant and in order to mitigate those, we might either end up significantly overbuilding these renewable resources to compensate for the inherent intermittency, or we need to somehow capture the excess generation uh, in generating hydrogen and then kind of using it um, over seasonal periods uh, more effectively. Hirsch, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking your time uh, to speak with me about your industry perspectives piece, which can be found at www.diamond-hill.com. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Wishing you and your family nothing but the best. You too. And hope to have you on the podcast once again. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.